This is What Book Cooked You. I'm Brock Shelley, and thanks for listening. On this episode, I talk to Dana L. Davis, whose debut novel, Tiffany Sly Lives Here, comes out on May 1st. In this episode, we talk about Dana's writing journey, uh, what really inspired this book, and how supportive her agency has been throughout this process. Uh, So listen in. So Dana, what book hooked you? This is a tough question to answer because um, I started reading, I was an early reader and I started reading when I was like four years old and my mom had a stash of books. And so when I was probably about nine or 10, I snuck into her stash and read the entire Flowers in the Attic series. So (laughs) I don't know if you know these books, but they're definitely not for 10 year olds. But I just remember being, like, so lost in the world and just so, like, amazed by this story and um, this jaw-dropping story. And I just was – I was sort of hooked that books could sort of do that to me. Books could sort of take me to that world where I would pull a blanket over my head and be completely satisfied and entertained and need nothing else but, like, this world – and I went on to become like a huge fan of V.C. Andrews and um, read pretty much all of her theories up until I was like 12 or 13. I was like obsessed with V.C. Andrews. So I'd probably say like her books brought me into that world of just like loving books and having to get the next one. But again, I was I was a big reader, so I, I, I read a lot. But those are probably the books that made me go, OK, all I need is a book. That's great. And so V.C. Andrews, uh, you know, writes a little bit on the darker side. So was was that kind of the type of books you gravitated towards or was like Flowers in the Attic uh, kind of a departure maybe or just something more of a love of that writer than of the genre of of thrillers? Yeah, no, I would have to say that um, people always ask me, like, Dana, who's your favorite author? And I always say I don't have a favorite author. I just have favorite books. So I really, I just love anything. If it's written well, if I can get lost in the story, I'm I'm there. I'm I'm going to read the whole book. So I probably don't have like a favorite genre or a favorite author. I just, you know, I just I just read. So. <laughs> and so your younger years, uh, you know, up until twelve, you were reading these types of books. So sometimes I find uh, when a person gets more into adolescence, more into their teenage years reading sometimes changes for them. It becomes maybe less significant for them as they get more of a social life. Uh, was that true for you or did were you still constantly uh, into books and reading all throughout, you know, middle school, high school age? I would have to say that I definitely was a big reader all the way up into um, adulthood. I was also, you know, I started doing theater when I was seven years old. And so I also read a lot of plays and when I was in high school, I did a lot of plays and musical theater. So I was I was a really big reader, and books were a big part of my life in, in high school and in college as well. And so during that time, is there a book or books that kind of stand out that really uh, you were really into, it really spoke to you, uh, that were really important to you uh, around your teenage years? I think um, in my teenage years, I became I became a big fan of, of poetry, and so um, those are books I could kind of read over and over again. And I loved Langston Hughes, and I loved Maya Angelou. 
Um, so, yeah, I, I became a big fan of poetry. And I mean, I know this sounds kind of silly, but I loved Shel Silverstein as well. I just found like such beauty and the simplicity of his poetry and also the humor. Um, and also some of his poems are really, really sweet and, and touching. So, um, and I love that you can you can have a whole story in a page. I think that's the beautiful thing about poetry, is that you can literally read like three lines, and you just you feel like you've got this whole story. And so then you also said how you got involved in theater and things like that. Did you have like favorite plays uh, that you really enjoyed, kind of the story and and the characters? a lot of favorite plays. More, I would have to say a lot of favorite musicals. I started getting into musical theater when I was probably about 13 and I saw Bye Bye Birdie for the first time and just was sort of mesmerized by it. Um, and then I went on to star that next year in Damn Yankees. So when I was, uh, it was my first year in high school and I just remember like feeling out of my element because there were seniors and I was auditioning for, you know, the big school musical. And then um, I got the lead in the play, which was um, Lola. And that's like the starring role in Damn Yankees. And so um, that was really exciting for me and also exciting for me to be able to play that role as an African-American woman. So, yeah, Damn Yankees was probably one of my favorites just because I have, like, that connection to it and it being, like, my very first, like, big musical. I love Joseph um, and The Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Now, these are musicals, especially Joseph. Joseph doesn't have a lot of dialogue. Joseph is basically all singing. But still, for me, music tells a story as well. So to me, it's all the same. Um, but, yeah, I have so many favorites. I mean, as far as, like, musical theater goes, I could just go on and on and on. But... Um, those are two that sort of stand out as being sort of prominent in my childhood that really like brought me into that world of theater. So at what point in your life uh, were you writing your own stories uh, and creating your own worlds and characters? Oh my God. I started writing plays when I was, um, I think I was in the fifth grade. So we had an assignment in science class I remember um, we all had to present something for Earth Day and I remember asking my teacher can I write a play and he was sort of like uh, okay like <laughs> like a little bit confused and I'm confident he had never been asked that before but he let me and so I wrote a play and I cast it and um, we performed the play about about Earth Day in, in front of my science class when I was in fifth grade so I think that's when I first started writing like plays and, and little stories. But to be honest with you, I was always sort of, you know, journaling and, and writing things down, even as young as like five and six years old. And so at what point uh, did you start taking your writing serious uh, to the point where, you know, maybe you wanted to be published or develop something, you know, bigger to have, whether that's putting it on stage or putting it out there in the public in some way? That's a really good question. Um, I think I started. I think I started feeling serious about my writing in college. Now I was a music major, and so um, I graduated in 2001 from Loyola Marymount University with my um, BFA in music. So I actually have my music degree. But it was probably my senior year in college where I sort of started thinking, 
I wonder if I could pull off a double major at this point because I really wanted to sort of concentrate on my writing. And I started taking screenwriting classes. And for me, my screenwriting class was a huge deal. I think other people were trying to get an A. And I was mostly trying to connect with my teacher because he was um, a Hollywood screenwriter. And I really wanted to more than just like get an A in the class, I wanted to make a connection with him. And so I think that was when I first started to think, okay, this could actually be a career of mine. But um, during that time, like between the time I was a senior and I graduated from college, my acting career took off. And so I started really working a lot as an actor. I did a ton of commercials. And um, I started working on series and I just got so busy that writing got pushed to the side. But when I had um, my daughter, I probably was acting for, you know, solely concentrating on my acting career for about 15 years. And then when I had my daughter, I took a little bit of time away from my acting career and really felt compelled to concentrate on my writing. And that's when I was like, I feel so passionate and so so strongly about getting my writing out into the world that I, I actually decided to take some time away from my acting career. Um, and there were a bunch of things that happened at the same time to sort of make me come to that conclusion. But I would have to say, like, when, when my daughter was born, um, and she's six right now, so that was about six years ago, where I was like, okay, we have to make this happen. Like, the stories have to become the most important part of my life right now. And so when you kind of made that decision for yourself uh, and started on this journey uh, to become a writer. What was your writing like? What, what topics, genres, categories, what were you, uh, what was your style when you first started out? Well, when I first started out, I wrote a middle grade. That's the first thing I ever wrote. And it was sort of like a modern retelling of Alice in Wonderland with a twist. And I really, always, even to now, wanted to write stories that dealt with serious issues that people are dealing with, but in a light, fun way. I wanted to write, because this story was about a little girl who fell into a magical world, and there were these purple people, and there were these orange people. Um, They were called Marmals and Kikis. And these Kikis were sort of having these disputes because the Marmals, who were orange, were not allowed in the land where the purple kikis were. And it was really like a fun take on, on race. And, um, but I wanted to sort of reach kids with something fun without letting them know, hey, we're, we're talking about something serious here. And so um, that was the very first thing that I wrote. And that's how I got my agent. That's how I ended up with Triada US and being repped by Uva Stender. And we never sold that book. But my agent always says, things always come, can come back. He recently sold a book that was 10 years old. His very, um, one of his very first clients, his, one of the very first books that she wrote, he sold it 10 years later. So he's always like, you never know, we might be able to sell that story. Um, but even now, I still sort of do that in my writing. I really want to, how can I reach kids, but how can I infuse it with like light and, and laughter and fun? So that's sort of my writing style and sort of what I think about when I'm writing. It's always about like, how can we help? How can I reach um, kids today? And not even just kids, but like adults too. That I think adults are big readers of young adults. Your debut, uh, Tiffany Sly, Lives Here Now, comes out on May 1st. Uh, so start off by telling us, giving us the synopsis of what this book's about. Okay, so Tiffany Sly Lives Here Now is a story of 16-year-old girl, Tiffany Sly, who has just 
watched her mom lose a battle with cancer. And before her mom died, her mom let Tiffany know that Tiffany has a father, that Tiffany never knew existed. And that's where Tiffany's going to go live when her mother passes away. So the story starts off with Tiffany getting ready to move from Chicago to Los Angeles to live with this father that she's never even met before. But the day before she's set to leave, another man shows up at her door, literally, saying, I believe that I'm your father. And he has a court-ordered paternity test that Tiffany has to submit to in seven days. So rather than Tiffany tell anyone what, you know, she's just found out, she sort of keeps it to herself. And she spends the next seven days living with this family that she knows might not actually be her family. And that's sort of a brief synopsis of Tiffany Sly lives here now. So then with this book, what was that initial idea that that uh, sparked inside you that made you want to write this? Well, that, there is a very long answer to that and a short one. So I'll try to find like a middle ground. But um, I had went through something that was uh, pretty traumatizing. My daughter was born and she was born on the spectrum of autism. And battling her disability was extremely traumatic for me. I started meditating on that Nietzsche quote, which is, um, that which does not kill you makes you stronger. And I realized that that just wasn't true. And I started thinking, like, what if what doesn't kill you doesn't make you stronger? Like, how does life look after trauma? Because I found myself a different version of myself. And I had to, like, re I had to get to know myself all over again. It was like I didn't know who I was. And that was really hard for me. It was like my whole foundation was gone. Everything that I had known, loved, even the things that I used to like, I didn't like anymore. I was a, com- I was a completely brand new person. That's, that's sort of how I felt dealing with this trauma on the other side of it. And I didn't necessarily feel stronger. I felt different, um, but not stronger. And so I really, I really saw the world differently. And I saw that a lot of people are suffering and a lot of people are living sort of with this huge secret, which is, hey, I'm I'm having a hard time. You know, we live in this culture now of like Facebook and Instagram, where we sort of put up this front, right, of like, things are okay, look at me, like I'm a hashtag winning, you know, I'm in mm-hmm. whatever country you're in, you're on a vacation or what, ha- what have you. And we have this new culture of making things look great, whereas we're actually like suffering in silence. And so I really felt compelled to to tackle trauma because I know that's something that kids are dealing with. And it's hard to grow up because you have all these ideas, life is going to be so exciting, and then life breaks your heart, and you're completely unprepared for it. And so I really wanted to present trauma to to children. And so that's sort of um, how the idea for Tiffany Sly came about. I wanted to write a girl who, you know, seem to, to be losing, who seem to be traumatized. How does that look? How, what do you do? What, what are the steps you take when your foundation is taken away from you and you have to sort of start all over? But again, like I said, I wanted to infuse such a heavy topic with light and, and, and laughter and, and inspiration and hope. And so that's what I did. And so there's, there's this voice. Tiffany's really actually quite funny and she's uplifting. And I think that's the great thing about it is teenagers are really going to be able to read this story and identify with Tiffany 
and say, hey, I have these same same problems, I have these same issues, but it's okay. Like, they're going to be able to see the light in it and realize that there's nothing to be ashamed of with pain, you know? It's it's okay. It's a part of the process. It's a part, it's a part of the life process. That's great. And so when you were uh, writing this book, or even uh, the middle grade book, and kind of getting used to uh, your own style and uh, thinking about the audience that you were writing for, were there books that you kind of picked up that, that you kind of modeled, maybe not in subject matter or things like that, but like when you think uh, about writing in the middle grade category or the YA category that you were kind of picked up as, as quote unquote research to, you know, what's out there in the marketplace uh, when it comes to these types of books? Well, I would have to say that that's, a really big mistake that I made with my middle grade because I really didn't um, even know what was trending when I started writing my middle grade. And and I think that's one of the reasons it didn't sell was because I was sort of writing with a different style, which was kind of older and um, maybe outdated. And so I think that's a good question because I think that's so important when you are writing to sort of know the market and know um, what's trending and what's popular and what, what children are sort of connecting to. And so um, I would have to say that I, I read a lot of you, I read a lot of nonfiction because my book has a lot of spiritual elements. Mm -hmm. So um, I read a lot of nonfiction books. Um, One of my characters, Tiffany's friend that she makes, his name is Marcus McKinney. And Marcus has actually, he has a terminal illness and Marcus has died. um, And, lived to tell the story of what he experienced on the other side. And he's written a book called the boy who lives before. And so, um, one of the things is Tiffany gets that book from Marcus and she, she's, she's having some problems with faith. She's having some faith issues because with the passing of her mom and realizing that, you know, sometimes the higher power that you're praying to doesn't answer your prayers. Tiffany has become an atheist. And so one of the things that um, she she's trying to connect to to that again, and this this relationship with this boy Marcus really helps her to sort of maybe take the first steps in in connecting to that again. And this this is not a book about religion. Um, this is just a book about losing your foundation and like trying to like scramble to find your place again. But I I did read a lot of books about that sort of sort of thing about about spirituality and that really helped me a lot. I also, I love John Green. I love the way that he also can tell a story that's got a heavy material like um, like The Fault in Our Stars. You're dealing with terminal illness and you're dealing with teenagers dying. But I think he does a beautiful job of infusing light and, and laughter. Um, I remember reading The Fault in Our Stars literally in one night. I started reading it probably at like 8 o'clock p.m., and then I finished it around 2 o'clock in the morning. It was just such a page-turner. And even though, like, my heart was breaking, I also felt, like, such hope. And um, so he was really a lot of inspiration, too. I really enjoy his writing. So um, that's just to name a couple, just, like, a lot of nonfiction, some some John Green. And just, like, I'm not really one – like I said, I'm not one of those people who has favorite authors. I just pick up books, and I'm just going to, like – Susan Collins is probably another one. I love her style of writing. She has this wonderful ability to be literary and lush with her writing, but also commercial. 
Um, so it's a page turner, but also you really feel immersed in the world. So just to name a few. <laughs> Coming from an acting background, you know, where you're kind of working with in the theater an ensemble cast or are the are in TV and movies, uh, you know, there's people on the set to help you and uh, work off of and writing sort of being very different from that where it's a lot of solitary work and, and working through things. Did you look for a community or have any support when it came to uh, your writing endeavors? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think that's so important and I really felt supported by my agency Try out of US, um, my agent Uva Stender, he works with a lot of interns and he, he's we've got a lot of agents that work um with the agency. I think we have five agents now. And so the thing that's so great about being with Triada is that it's not just my agent, my point person, Uva, that's gonna read my book. Everyone's gonna read my book. And then if you need um an intern to read your book, Uva will work that out too. You're gonna get so much feedback. And that was so crucial to me because with my agent, I could send him a chapter. I could send him two chapters. It didn't matter what I sent him. He would always give me notes. He would always give me feedback. He would share it with others if I if I wanted him to. And then I would get those notes back and I would continue writing. I'm not the kind of writer who is going to send my agent a, a whole book. I'm going to send him pieces of it so that I can be guided the whole way. And I know some writers don't have that luxury where their agent is just not in um, contact with them that much. But I've I've been lucky enough to have that experience. So I really felt supported with, with that, with having my agent constantly checking in and giving me feedback and not just my agent. And I think if you read my acknowledgments, I think quite a few people from Trada because they were just sort of crucial in helping shape my story. That's wonderful. What skills do you think you've borrowed or relied on from your acting career uh, Have do you utilize when it comes to your writing career? Um, that's another really good question. I think that as an actor, you learn to listen. It's crucial. It's not really about saying your lines. It's about listening to what was said to you and, and responding. And I think because I have that listening ear as an actor, I really can bring that to my writing and create characters that feel authentic and that feel real. I think that's one of the things that I really do well because sometimes, you know, being able to look at my writing, it might not be as lush and, and literary as some other seasoned writers, but I think I really succeed when it comes to creating characters that feel real and that you can really connect to. Um, and I think that's just about about listening and really connecting to people. One of the things I always say to writers who are asking me for advice is don't create a character out of nothing. Create a character out of someone that you might even know and then build upon that because then that person already is starting off authentic and real because you can draw from that person and what you know about them. So I'm always listening. I'm always like observing people. Um, my friends always say, Dana, you're such a good listener. And um, I don't want to admit that actually it's part of like my work. Like I'm researching. I love to listen to people and, and take from them, you know, little bits and pieces and create my characters. I just, I love, I love connecting to people and like getting to the heart of situations. And I really got that from my acting and I bring that to my writing and I hope that it shows and the characters sort of jump off the page. And so the book comes out on May the 1st. Uh, so how has, when you kind of think back to this journey from 
you know, way back when you kind of turned your attention to writing and, and the middle grade novel that got you the agent, but it, it didn't go the whole way. And now May 1st, uh, your first book will be coming out. When you look back through that journey, uh, do you, what kind of stands out the most uh, that you've uh, had to live through uh, or learned throughout this process? Well, I think so many things stand out when I look back at this writing journey. One of the things that stands out to me most is that I was so supported by my agent. You know, I had a book and it took me about a year to write it, the middle grade, and it didn't sell. And so we took it off submission and I wrote another book. And that was a young adult novel and it was about time travel and it was sci-fi. It was a little bit of sci-fi and fantasy and that didn't sell as well. That took me another year to write it. And so during that time of writing those two books, my agent just fully supported me and just loved my writing and would always encourage me to keep writing. And um, I remember I pitched him after the second book didn't sell. I pitched him five ideas for my for my new YA. And I remember he responded to me and he was like, Dana, I've submitted all of these to all the agents and, and here's everyone's comments. He was like, and here's what we like the best and et cetera, et cetera. But he goes, one thing I can tell you is write what you can write well. He was like, don't write what you think will be like a bestseller. He's like, write what you can write. And so that was, you know, at that time when I was going through that, that time in my life where I was really traumatized. And so I was like, well, I can write like in my mind, I'm like, I can write trauma. I can write that. And so that really um, compelled me to write um, Tiffany Sly. So I really feel like that's so important to be supportive, supported. And I think that some writers don't get that. Some writers give up. I, I was, I'm judging uh, a first kiss competition right now, a writing competition. There is a chapter of the, I think it's called the Romance Writers of America. And they're doing this first kiss writing competition. And I got some entries to judge. And I'm looking at the writing and I'm just so excited by these writers. And I'm like, I hope that my comments help them feel supported because I can remember some of my first, my first, the first things I wrote, maybe they weren't that great, but if someone would have said, I don't know about this, I would have never continued on. Like I needed to be supported so that I could keep, keep writing, keep at it. It's a long process. You know, like I look back at some of John Green's like earlier writings and it's, it's, it's good, but the things he writes now are great. And I think you can see that the books just keep getting better. You keep growing as a writer, but in order for that to happen, like you have to be, in, you have to be supported and you have to be encouraged. So I think that's, that's what I see mostly looking back at my process is that I really was fortunate to have that because think about it. I mean, it's like constant rejections. I think for my middle grade, I must've gotten, you know, 40 rejections for my sci-fi fantasy. I got um, maybe even more, you know, because we went from middle grade to YA. So there were more submissions. So maybe I got 50 rejections. It's, it's hard. You really need to, um, to be supported in that. So I think that's what stands out stands out the most to me is that you need to be supported. And I was lucky enough to be supported so that I didn't get so down on myself. And I just kept on writing. That's wonderful. That's great. So a few questions now, as we wrap up, the first one is, what is your favorite movie that's based on a book? Okay, that is a hard one, because I think I have a couple. 
So I will just say, like, as far as kids' books go, I will have to say my favorite of all time is Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. And this is the one with Gene Wilder. Mm-hmm. And I just, like, love – first of all, I love that book. It's one – I read that book when I was a little kid, and I just, like – I was mesmerized by it. And I read – I think I read the whole series – um, because when we were little, my mom would just take us to the library and just, she would just sort of like find a chair and relax, like, oh my God, the kids are fine. And we would just like run through the library and have like full reign of the library. And I would just like find a corner and read book after book. And so I think I remember reading that series, like at the library, like one day, read like three of that series. And so to see the movie, it was just like so amazing. And Gene Wilder is one of my favorite actors of all time and so I just thought his interpretation of Willy Wonka was just so adorable and um, it was just it's such a sweet story in that movie even to this day like I will pop that movie in it's one of my daughter's favorites too so we love that and I'm trying to like push the book on her too I bought it the new new edition and I'm like ooh, read this Um, because she's also an early reader she's six years old but I think um, in the adult books I would have to say Outlander even though Outlander is not a movie, it's a TV series, but it's done so well and um, it's just so charming and Diana Cabaldon is such a wonderful writer and she's a part of the series as well. And so it really, it transferred so wonderfully to the screen. Good. Next question then is, is there a book or a series that you're willing to admit you either have never read or were never able to finish? Yes. And just like just mentioning Diana Cabaldon, I have to admit that I haven't finished the Outlander series. I read the first book and I tried to read the second book, but I was so traumatized by the first book. Like, honestly, if, if like if you've read that book, it is traumatizing. What happens to Jamie at the end of that book is difficult to take. And I remember like staring, like literally staring at the book and being like, really, Diana? Really? Like I was so angry that she took this character to such a place of pain. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, that's, she's brilliant. And like the fact that she even could do it is brilliant, but it was also like heartbreaking. Like it broke my heart. And so I couldn't continue on with the story because I was just like, how is one going to heal from this? And so it was like so painful for me. And I remember talking to a friend who hadn't finished the series and I was like, something really bad happens to Jamie. (laughs) And she's like, what? And I'm like, no, no, I'm not going to tell you. She's like, no, I cannot take it. She's like, you have to tell me. So I told her and she's like, I can't finish it. And so because of me, a friend of mine literally like never finished that book. So, um, yeah, I hate to admit it, but I just cannot continue that story because it's it's so heartbreaking. And even for this series, too, because I watched the whole first season, and then I was like, yeah, I'm not, I can't anymore <laughs> with this. So, But that's only because it was so good and heartbreaking right. and just like, oh, uh, yeah. That's funny. And then the last question is, what is the last great book that you've read? I would have to say, because I read, um, I probably read equal fiction and nonfiction. And so it's probably a nonfiction, although some people would say this is fiction. I guess it's, you know, you can take it how you want to take it. But um, it's a book called Conversations with God. And it's basically, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the book, but it's a man who claims to have been journaling one day and he was asking questions to God, uh, quote unquote. And apparently God started writing back. So it's almost like automatic writing where he's 
you know, I guess his hand was taken over in some sort of supernatural way and God's responding to him. And so it's like this massive book. I think it's like a thousand pages of like his ramblings with God. And I was like fascinated by it and probably read it in like a week because I was just like, I have to keep reading this. And it's, it's kind of far out. And again, it's, it's nonfiction, but also you could look at it as a work of fiction. It doesn't matter. It's just like, it's got some really inspiring things in it. It's, it's sort of like, um, you know, chicken soup for the soul and those, that type of book. Um, yeah. So that's probably my most favorite thing I've read recently. Well, Dana, Tiffany Sly lives here now, comes out on May 1st. Uh, congratulations on your debut and I wish you and the book all the best. Thank you so much. I really had a lot of fun. And that does it for another episode of What Book Hooked You. Special thanks to Dana L. Davis for joining me. Her book, Tiffany Slide Lives Here Now, comes out on May 1st, and I hope you'll check it out. Just as I hope you'll check out many of the other episodes I have with a lot of great YA authors, I'm Brock Shelley, and until next time, keep reading.